Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, we kicked off a challenge a couple of weeks ago to write a novel with Dabble in 60 days. This challenge encompasses the yearly NaNoWriMo challenge while also adding a planning month to the mix. Five writers are going through the process of developing an idea, making a fully formed plot and plan, then executing the writing of a first draft in 60 days. Last week, we talked about characters. We know that characters drive your story through their own accomplishments and the way they do, or sometimes do not, handle plot devices you throw their way. But what about where your story is set? Have you ever heard the term place as character? Well, in today's show, we talk all about it. Join us as we look at what makes a great setting and how you can use that setting to set your story apart from all the rest. Go to storycraft.cafe to join the challenge. If you're not signed up already, we would love to have you. There's all kinds of events happening on YouTube, the live shows that we do on Wednesday evenings, or we're doing some live hangouts in the cafe where you can talk with other writers who are also going through the challenge. Join us, storycraft.cafe. We would love to have you. Now on to the show. Hey, hey, everybody. It is world building night. Yay on the yes. write a novel with Dabble in 60 days uh, writing challenge check in, which it seems like we've kind of settled on Wednesday nights. I hope that works for everybody. Um, it's it's it seems to be working. So, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep going with the flow until uh until we're forced to do otherwise. But uh, joining me tonight, Lauren Moore, Josh Hayes, Ian Garner, and uh, Amy Hale will be uh, popping in soon, I presume. I haven't heard uh, otherwise from her. So we're got, and there she is. Let's add her to the stream. Hi, Amy. Hi. Was, we were, we just went live and was just uh, adding everybody to the chat. So there's Amy Hale joining us now tonight. We're going to talk about world building, and um, I have a specific thing that I want to talk through with you guys that I've kind of uh, come up uh, in my writing because, you know, I'm actually taking this planning month and working on my plan and thinking about my story before um, the the writing starts in earnest, which is new for me. And so, so you know, I have questions that have come up that, that I want to work through and which has been a fantastic thing for me because it's forced me to um, to think about my story and to come up with new things that I might not have come up with if I wouldn't have slowed down and given myself that time to think about it, which again, you know, it's, it's kind of new for me. Um, I'm used to just kind of running off with uh with where the story takes me. So anyway, uh, Lauren, how are you this evening? I'm just going to go around the, the table here as it's appearing on my screen. How are you, ma'am? 
I'm doing great. I was editing all morning. Um, did make it to the gym with my brother, and uh, he, he put me through my paces with this <laughs> app that he's doing. And he he goes at it. He's been doing it pretty madly. But um, we were pretty exhausted by the end of that. And then um, you know went to exhaust the brain with some editing real quick uh, because I had babysitting in the afternoon. So kind of running from one thing to another, and now I'm ready to just kind of chill and relax with y'all and just have a good time tonight and talk about world building, making someone else work, and not, not me. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how's, how's your plan coming along? I know you've, you've been doing a lot of groundwork and on your story and your, the world you're writing in and all that. How's, how's that coming along? I'm still in research mode. I am listening to book three. And as the plot unfolds, yeah. Actually, the world and the setting is becoming even more important to the character's story and where it's going, and also to my story as I'm thinking it through. So I've, I'm in the middle of book three, and now I'm listening to book one again as well, because I'm taking notes, I'm getting these details together, I'm trying to organize it and figure out exactly who, who's there in my cast and what is there and what villains are possible. So definitely still like got the encyclopedia out. We'll be talking about world building, how to organize this stuff and um, how Dabble can use, you can use Dabble for that. And also Google Docs or Word, Word Doc or whatever you've got available to you to organize all this stuff. Love it. Love it. I'd love to see a plan of brewing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, how are you? You were, uh, you were out last week. You had some, some stuff going on. Um, glad to have you back. Oh, yeah. How's, how's the planning phase going for you? Uh, so far so good. I feel like I've got a firm grasp on the main plot of the story. What I've been working on this week is trying to fill in some of that B plot. Um, what happens uh, with the side characters, what happens with fleshing the world out now that I know exactly where the story is going to go, how do I make it more enriching or fulfilling for the reader? Love it. Have you come up with anything specific that you're looking at that that has come to you that hey, this thing is gonna is gonna really amp up the or, or make the story more lush or, or whatever it is that's adding texture to your story? Um, I'm gonna characterize it as Irish folklore Avengers. Hey, nice. Nice. Just, uh, take every um, heavy hitter from Irish or Celtic mythology, and they're going to be part of the story as well. And nice. I'm really forward to that part. I love it. So a little American Gods mixed in there as well? Yes, that's precisely it. Really? Yes. yes. Love, it. Mm-hmm. love it. Love it. Are you yeah. going to have Selkies in there? I'm going to have that. I know that there's at least one Banshee, uh, a green man, and... Okay. Possibly a leprechaun. I haven't okay. decided yet. We'll see. There's room. I like I little it. house brownies, you know, the little mischievous guys. Pretty and then much. selkies are oof, so oh, mysterious. Yeah. I'm not saying that anyone in our family has ever been dubbed a leprechaun because we <laughs> tend to be Scotch and Irish and on the short side, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, leprechauns are short. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's where I was going. Uh, Amy, glad to have you with us. You uh, you had some some personal life plot twist that uh, that came about last week. Um, <laughs> I, I hope everything has um, gotten a little better this week. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Yeah, slings yeah. are 
slowly calming down. I'm not going to say back to normal because normal has changed, but slowly calming down. We don't want to jinx anything, but I get, yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, how's how's the story coming along? How's the the planning phase? Well, I'll admit I'm behind because of all the plot changes in my yeah. life. Um, but I'm getting there. Um, I'm starting to finally get my head back in the right space because, like, the last week or so, I've not even been in the right headspace to write. So that's been a major challenge. Um, but I'm getting I'm getting back there now. So. At this point, I'm really not very far, so I feel like I got some some catching up to do now. Well, that's the, that's the great thing about the planning month. You you can always say, "Well, I've, I've been working on the plot in my head." That's yeah. it's all going to come together. That's, it will. That's, that's, that's what this phase of the journey is all about. Yeah, that's totally right on plan. You see, nobody ever know. Nobody ever know. <laughs> Joshua, glad to have you with us tonight. How's uh? I know that you were working on book two in a series that you finished up book one. You told us last week you had kind of put the bow on that and now cranking up the other one. What's uh, what's going on? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, Amy mentioned having the plot rolling around and then you said, how oh, that's all work. I got to get really careful because I'll sit down and like research Lord of the Rings or research Game of Thrones and all <laughs> of that. The, the whole day just goes away. And uh I got to be careful with that. Um, my my week started out really slow. Um, Monday and Tuesday didn't have very much progress. I was stuck on one of the major plot events, so actually two. Um, and actually one of the things that I managed to come up with uh, Sunday or Monday, I can't remember which day, um, goes into world building. So I was really excited that we're talking about this this week because I've got an example of that uh, when it when it comes around to that. But uh, I think I've got um, uh, like 10, 11,000 words of outline finished. Um, I think uh, the book is projected right now at 90. It's probably going to be about 120. Um, okay. Yeah. I always go long sometimes, um, but I I figured out the uh, what I wanted to do with uh, the climax and wrapping everything together and then pushing on to the third book. So I think in the planning stages, I'm at about 80 percent finished with that. Nice, nice. Um, OK, before we get into our discussion, uh, welcome everyone over in the chat. Just popping off and buzzing love uh love everything going on over there and we will pop some stuff up on screen as it goes along so uh be sure to join in the conversation um a couple of little housekeeping things we are going to start next week um storycraft cafe the the social media site that we've got that's that's uh built just for writers and a, a place where everyone congregates and and uh you know goes through the the writerly life uh together we we're up to almost a thousand members there so um you can create an account for free uh just drop by storycraft.cafe i think you can even go to storycraftcafe.com and it, it all redirects to the same place anyway go sign up for a free account it's fun it's all uh, good, good vibes and good things going on there. But starting next Monday, um, we are going to uh, be doing some video hangouts in the cafe. The the software that 
the cafe runs on. It's called Circle.so. They've recently upgraded their video conferencing capabilities, and we're going to be able to do some video hangouts there where um, where all, all of us can get together, have a big video room, and talk through some of the same stuff that we talk about here on the, uh, the YouTube hangout. So just a place where we can get more people in, talk more about it, and, uh, you know, really – go in depth with it so we're going to try that out monday and we're it's uh it's going to be monday at noon eastern time so it'll be 11 central 10 mountain nine pacific um and then we'll also try to find a place in the evenings to make it easy for everybody to get in anyway we're going to give it a try hope we can make it all work but you know that's what we're working on also for um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have signed up to do the writing challenge along with us. And today we sent out an email uh, with a free ebook that we at Dabble put together. And uh, if if you're not on that mailing list, everyone that was signed up and on the mailing list got a free copy of it. So if you're not, go over to storycraft.cafe, find the tab for the writing challenge and just go, all we need is a name and email. And there's a couple of questions. It's nothing big sign up and we'll send that ebook to you as well um anyway so setting and world building i have a very specific question that i'd like to pose to y'all and we'll just kind of kick it off with this and 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 just you know kind of let the conversation go but the the book that i'm writing is a mystery set in um it's going to be set in the um early to mid nineties. And there's, there's some reasons why I said it then um, mostly because I wanted to avoid uh, a lot of the technology that we have now that, you know, because now so many um, plot uh, problems are just solved because you can just pick up your cell phone and call for help, you know, or um, you know, you can search anything on the internet. The internet was a thing in the early nineties, but not nearly as prolific as it is now. So by setting it back a couple of decades, I resolved a lot of those issues that I just don't have to deal with them. Is that cheating? Yes, it is. And I, that's exactly why I'm doing it. Um, but um, one, one question that I've been mulling over is I have a fictional town that I've created several books ago that I'd written, and I've set a lot of the stuff I've written in this fictional town, and, um, and there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but I, I've been toying with the idea of setting um, the story I'm writing in in a real town, and specifically the town that I live in. Um, you know, one reason is I, I know everything about this. I've lived here for 50 years, uh, with the exception of a few years where we moved away. Um, I, I know a lot of the ins and outs of it. Um, do do y'all have a, like, if you're writing a book that's not science fiction or fantasy and you're not creating a world, what do you think about when you pick up a book and read it and it's about a real place versus, uh, you know, a made up town that's informed by real places or something. Do, do y'all have an opinion about that at all? I don't, um, it, it done. I mean, done well, it, it, it really can lead to interesting things. Like, you know, if you're, you're curious about a set piece or whatever, you can go and usually see that, um, the books that I read that typically have this, uh, 
in them are the gray man books and he'll and Mark Greeny will go to the places and take business trips and vacations or whatever you want to call it as a writer um, and scout it out and plan his books loosely around the terrain. Um, I think that you can use a regular town um, and or fictional one, but even if you use the original, the regular town, you can still have some creative license with that. Like if you need a a building that is not there, you can create that. And I I think that um, some of those, that, that leads credibility to your story as well, especially like for you, you're saying that you live there. So there's a lot of maybe little things that people might not know about the town that you could punch in. There's kind of Easter egg type deals. Um, Amy, what, what do you think? Have you, you've written some uh, some books that are anchored in present time or you know thereabouts? Does, does does that matter to you if it's a real place or a made up place? I mean, not really. Um, I'm I'm good either way as long as like if it's a real place, I think you should try to get the details as correctly as possible because people are going to call you on it if they live there. Right. Um, but like say like with Havenwood Falls. Our little town was based off of, of Telluride, Colorado. So we just kind of took the location and then we started changing the details and made it our own. And um, but it was the, the the geography was based off of that. So um, we would like when we would work on the Bible together, we'd go look and say, okay, what's the weather usually like in the in in Telluride on you know December you know or November or whatever, and then we would just make sure that it's consistent. Um, and it really helped us form this entire world. Um, and then we also looked at, you know, how to, you know, what's it like trying to, you know, raise, you know, like having vegetable gardens. Is it possible in this area? I mean, we went through this very, very detailed um, like Google Maps, you name it. We were looking at everything. And I think it made it so real to the readers, even though it was fictional, that um, we had people saying, well, God, I, I wish I lived here. I want to live in Havenwood Falls. And we're like, yeah, we kind of do too now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess by by basing it on a place, you get to to bring in all the aspects of it without having to be true to it. Is, yeah. Is that kind yeah. of the, because, you know, I mean, obviously the, like some of the businesses I built for my characters, they don't exist. Right. But at the same time, people can look up this, you know, Telluride and look around and be like, this place is gorgeous. And we really did try geography, you know, as far as the geography to get it right so that everything else would feel real when they, if they looked it up. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, I'm still kind of mulling that over, but I'm I'm going to make a decision soon. It, it's not going to affect um, a, a whole lot, but there there are a couple of little story ideas that I'm working on that that I just can't decide if I if I want it to be anchored um, in this real place or not. So um, y'all are a lot of help. Thanks. <laughs> one of the down one of the downfalls I've, I I I ghost wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago and it was a yeah. present day thriller and one of the I the set pieces in the climax of the story was um, Washington D.C. and I had to basically create a car chase but it had to there had to be enough time for something to happen and so I spent I don't know probably three hours on Google Maps with the um, the measuring tool right uh-huh. measuring like 
to like wow. even getting driving distances from one address to another and figuring out how far. And then there was a nuclear explosion that had to happen. And so there's a uh, website you can go to that projects nuclear explosions and how far damage and debris and all that. So I had to bring that over and lay that over and see where that happened. And it, it was a lot of work and yeah. it was a lot of pulling hair, but I think uh, in the end, I think it worked out really well. Josh, so, did you overlay DC traffic? Cause I don't know if that car chase could have happened with everyone stuck. I, uh, <laughs> this, this particular car, it happened in an, on an interstate, like coming into DC. So they weren't in DC yet. Of course, there still probably could have been traffic. I have absolutely no idea. I didn't go. I didn't go that far. <laughs> so, yeah, so let me ask you this: What did uh, putting your story in DC give you that made all of that work worth it? Uh, well, I mean, there's some terrorists trying to blow up some stuff, well. and so it <laughs> it happens in New York and DC, and and there's a couple other. Um, uh, DC is such a loaded location. There's so much there. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that kind of answers itself. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, um, it's it, like I said, I gross wrote it, so I didn't pick where it happened at. I just had to play around with what I had, and yeah. um, uh, it 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 worked out. I thought it was I thought it was well written. I'm talking about myself, but whatever. <laughs> Since you ghost wrote that, can you mention the name of the book? A couple of people are asking. I, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Unfortunately, I can't say. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that that's that's the deal with ghost writing a lot yeah. of times. Um, Amy, your your book is going to be a ghost story. Where are you setting that? Have you decided? So I'm basing it off of the town I grew up in. Um, okay. Because that's where some of the the weird stuff that happened that the, I got the idea from happened. Um, and as a matter of fact, I have an uncle that still lives there, and um, he he went to the, where the house was at and sent me pictures. And I looked it up on Google Maps, and the house is gone. They've torn it down. Mm-hmm. So I'm I just have like this empty lot, and I have to kind of see where it is now, you know. But um, I'm still trying to decide though if I want to base it in like the 80s. Yeah. Or if I want to, you know, do more present day. Um, but the little town I grew up in, Blackwell, Oklahoma. And so I don't know yet if I'm going to, I'm probably going to give it a fictional name um, and just base it off the town because a lot of it's going to be uh, a lot of changing um, in the story. But, um, but I've even been talking with my siblings that remember some of this weird stuff and we've been kind of going back and forth. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's best to place it as close as possible, at least yeah. to to where it actually happened. But, um, but I'm probably going to change the name. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you what uh, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of setting um, stories in the near past um, because it, it, there's just so much you can do that that is not hampered by technology. You know. I, when you're writing a sci-fi story, you're kind of pushing the technology. And then when you're anchoring it in the, in the real world, the here and now just rolling the calendar back just a little solves so many problems. It, yeah. it, it, really, it really does. does. Yeah. All you got to do is not run into a room full of chainsaws and then you're good. <laughs> that easy. Yeah. Not, I don't know why I'm, that's so hard, but yeah, I'm not making yeah. any promises. But, you know, <laughs> well, chainsaw skill falls, whatever. Right. Research, research, yeah. I've been watching uh, one of my favorites, um, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, The Netflix series? 
I yeah. yes. and I've got the book too, but I love watching. I just kind of let it play in the background while I'm doing other stuff to just kind of get the mood going. And um, no. you know, it's just no. oh, I love it. I love it. It's like my favorite. We're, we're <laughs> creepy dude with the long legs right floating around the room, yeah, like, the big mm-hmm. neck lady, and that I got me. Twist. Oh, the broke deck lady got me. I was oh, out. It's such like, a fantastic <laughs> twist. If you guys haven't seen it, oh it's my great. god, it's, it's such great. Yeah, it's great writing. Um, our youngest son Noah made Don and I watch that with him last year, and now this year for October he's making us watch uh, Bly Manor. Bly and Manor, that's a good nice. one too. But I, I like we have two episodes left, and I have to watch an episode and then you know hyperventilate into a bag <laughs> and you know come back the next day and watch another one. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Ian, your your story is going to be in Ireland, right? Is this going to be a, a historical story? Like, what what time frame are you thinking about? So I am calling it Ireland, but Ireland in name only, because okay. I want all of the liberty and freedom uh, without um, writing myself into a corner per se. Right. Um. As you think if you write history, it far enough in in history, then it, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you yeah, kind of like lose context. All pre-Roman uh, occupation. Just I'm gonna have the Druids as the main um, force that lived there. Some, you know, some Celtic tribes. Um, Saint Patrick died in the year 460 AD, so roughly around that time period. Okay. You know, early, real early, way back when. Um, and I found that setting it there, you know, I, I don't have to worry about uh, mixing up, you know, important historical figures. Um, there's not much written record for back then. So I have this whole sandbox or box of grass, I suppose, because it's Ireland um, <laughs> to play around in. And I'm really hyped about that because I love uh, not having rules and just being able to do what I want to do. So will you refer to Patrick as Patrick or Maywin Suckett? I was considering Maywin, but um, because I'm marketing this towards like kids that I teach, I'll probably stick with Patrick or some derivative thereof. Yeah. I haven't really decided yet. Whatever's more accessible for the audience. Gotcha. gotcha. Are you going to keep his time as a slave? Yes. In like, there? That's going to be a driving force of the mm-hmm. act one. In fact, like it's going to open with stuff popping off. Hmm. I'm probably going to open with a tavern because cliches are uh, <laughs> they're cliches for a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to never would have known you ran a D and D game if you wouldn't have mentioned the taverns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or my dice tower here. Or your yeah. Um, there will be uh, without spoiling too much. Things will be fine at first. I'll keep his time as a slave, and while he's in captivity, that's when he's going to notice, hey, there's some weird stuff popping off. I would like to get a piece of that action, and that will take us into the meat of the story. Okay. All right. Interested to to read that act one. That's going to be... It's going to be awesome. I already have a prologue in mind. I have several characters in mind. I'm thinking about killing off a main character, but I don't want to do it. Yes. There would be no 
emotion, you know, I, I don't want to lose the audience and I don't want to cheapen it by doing it too soon, but I, someone's going to die. I mean, you know, that that's a, that's a tightrope that you walk with, with killing characters yes. um, because you, you know, it, is this going to have series potential? And if it has series potential, what do you, what do you take a series once you've killed off the main character? You know, wow. you've got to spin it, you know, to the side somehow, or, um, you know, and this is one of the, the great tensions in storytelling is um, it, do your characters really, um, are, are, do they really experience jeopardy or, um, you know, if your character, if your readers can experience jeopardy through your characters, you know, how, how do you maintain that tension while also leaving series potential? If that's right. You know. yeah, it, it's that. And that's what I've been struggling with a lot the past couple of weeks. Like I, I know that there is going to be potential for book two, possibly even book three. Um, so I can't kill off certain characters or I could do a fake out where I kill a character and then maybe big bad evil guy to book two. I don't know. We'll see. Well, Nick and Jason at Galaxy's Edge, you know, famously killed off a very favorite character in, in their one of their first books that they wrote. Mm-hmm. That hasn't stopped them from writing lots of prequels, which are right. awesome. And they're still like right now, they're in progress of writing more. I'm I'm editing one that's ongoing. That character is going strong, so there there are ways to do it. Um, but if you if you start far enough into the story, then you have prequel potential for days. You know, right. yeah. You just it helps to kind of think about that in the beginning, so that you know what your possibilities are. I guess right, and you you could use magic. You could use magic with your world that you're creating. Yes, but at the same time, you don't want to like make you don't want to cheat in a way like you don't want to create hacks that the reader feels are cheap Mm -hmm. they have to have some kind of reward in the plot like some kind of twist that makes it feel like they didn't get they didn't cheat and like cut corners or something yeah um and then yeah to create that tension readers have to actually believe that someone could die or else it's fake on the other hand you know they mentioned george r r martin right and that's one of the reasons why he killed off so many characters is because he wanted to have actual tension in his plot Right. But me as a reader, I felt like I can't get emotionally invested in any of these characters if they might die off or turn evil soon. Right. And so it's like, what's it. the point in getting so like connected with them if I'm just going to get burned? I've been burned so many times. I don't want to get burned any- at all. So I ended up like Wikipediaing the plot of like after book four, I just read the summaries. <laughs> My wife and I were discussing that the other night because I've seen all of Game of Thrones and she has not. And she's like, why, why should I? I, I know that certain characters are going to die. So why should I get best? I'm like, okay, but that's a good point. <laughs> I don't have the rebuttal for you. Just watch it. My like, wife. My wife came to Game of Thrones late, and uh, I think I was watching season six at the time, and she saw the dragon lady, and she was like, I want to watch this show. And so then we get all the way up to the episode of The Red Wedding, mm. and she turns to me and she says, I really like Rob. He's no. my favorite character. Oh. I love him. I think he is the best character of this whole show. Literally the same episode as The Red Wedding, and I'm just sitting there like... Oh man. Okay. Ah, that's rough. And then after that episode happened, she wouldn't watch Game of Thrones for like a week. She was like, "Nope, I'm you not touching her." No, I don't. I don't blame her at all. Yeah. Oh man. 
Um, Fred Looney um, has a, a question that I popped up on the screen. By using a real location, are you worried about creating a character who too closely matches a real person who runs the local tavern? Um, no, but um, the place where I'm thinking about setting this has a very uh, tumultuous political history. Let's just put it that way. The, mm. Over the last 40 to 50 years. And um, if you if you set it there, you can use some of that if you're careful with it. Um, but um, and this is this is another thing when you're talking about world building, the politics of your world or how people interact with one another. And, you know, some of the fallout from that it will affect your story and, and how your your characters uh, interact with the world. But. You know, is that something that that you want to deal with? If you make a fictional town, you can wash away all of that history and not have to deal with it. So that's kind of one of the things I'm 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 working through right now. Do I want to have the potential for that history to be there or not? And I'm I'm trying to weigh out whether there are benefits to that or if that's just a, you know full of landmines that I just would rather step over um, if you have right. a real town though or you can you can create land you can use landmarks as part of your plot that can give the reader opportunity to start predicting right. what might happen um what what choices characters might make and then get the fun of seeing if their predictions are true like dc and marvel use new york city a lot yeah and part of it is because some of the locations are so iconic Right. And, you know, you're watching, you know, even a movie play out around the Statue of Liberty or something, and people can start guessing what's going to happen in the future and then seeing if their guesses pan out or seeing places that they've they've recognized that they know before. And they're like, ah, I knew that wouldn't work because of, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty is made out of this kind of metal, not that. Or that place is just too small for such a thing to to pan out or for that plan to work, or, you know, something about central park that, that is key to the plot foot. Um, so it's like an extra little reward for the reader who's been there, especially if it's a place like New York or like with Harry Dresden, the further the series goes on, the more Chicago takes like a central role in right. how the plot plays out and why, why something fails or succeeds because of the Chicago landscape. So that, that can be fun for some readers and also they get to see the fantasy meet reality and to start blending. So depending on what your genre is, like if it is fantasy, urban fantasy, um, even horror, I think, too. Some of that like real world meets the uh, the fantasy world is fun right. for the reader to immerse in. And you can do that with real locations in a way you can't do with made up ones. Yeah. Right. Uh, Lauren, your book, The, the Fantasy... Um, the, the portal fantasy, if you will, where uh, a team of rangers fall into a Tolkien-esque world. Yes. Um, it, did they name that world? I can't remember. It is the ruin, but it's okay. Earth. Okay. So it's Earth after a nanoplague has been unleashed, and it's okay. 10,000 years in the future. So it does have some of that like overlap of the real, real world meets fantasy because we're in France we're in Italy. We're in um, Germany. It's just the world has been ruined by this nanoplague that's kind of introduced like D&D type elements into um, 
into the plot. So the Wheel, recognizable. Wheel of time. I have not read the Wheel of Time. Okay, um, this this side is that, this is that is that fun? Josh, yeah. me, Josh, and Steve Bowyer um, started a podcast that I think we Horrible. got what, three episodes ah, or something. Three episodes. We, we were going to read through the entire Wheel of Time and then talk about it, and and we realized really quickly this was not something that we wanted to torture ourselves with. We got a crap ton of listens though. <laughs> Ah, nice. Oh, we 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 made a lot of people mad by by just saying I I don't I don't know that this is something I want to invest in for thirteen books. Yeah, uh, as as one of my main things that I'm doing right now. Um, but but uh, one thing that we learned pretty quickly was that the world of Wheel of Time uh, is our world after some things happen. It did, didn't we? Um, I, I have absolutely no idea. I don't remember. I read the first. I read the first book and then forgot it. Checked out. Yeah, checked out. Shanner is our world after a lot of stuff goes down. Yeah. Well, and I, Henry Brooks also. The Shanner is is is. Yeah, I was going to mention that one is our world. There's um there's a series of books called The Demon Cycle by Peter V. Brett. Brett. Yep. And he doesn't ever say this is Earth, but there are there are things that you find or that you come across in the journey of the books. You're like, is this, is this earth or not? Because it kind of sounds like you're mentioning a freeway, um, like a, um, a concrete like bridge or something that goes right. But obviously the characters don't know bridge. Like they don't know what it is. It's, you know, broken down and all that stuff. So they describe it as something different, but, um, I really like that type of callback, especially like what you're talking about, Lauren and Forgotten Rune, you know, seeing what the ruins would look like 10,000 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Leo. (laughs) Uh, Looking like 10,000 years in the future, but, you know, not really pointing out that that's what it is. Like, oh, that's the Eiffel Tower 10,000 years, but you don't ever say it's the Eiffel Tower, right? Like, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it should be things that people who've been there can somewhat recognize. Yeah. Um, but we've got orcs and vampires and elves and stuff all over it. And so so elements of their culture can look, can harken back to like medieval times and you can have that like playground, but you also have the whole D&D type playground. Right. So right. I can bring in fairy tale type elements. Um, and there's actually some suggestions that there's there's beings from outside of Earth and outside of the D and D type world, so there's maybe other worlds that are can be explored too. Nice. So, jo- Josh, what is what's your setting for for your new book? You haven't published the first book yet because you just finished it, obviously. Right. Um, so where does where does this take place? It's far future. It's okay. um, it's multiple worlds. Um, our galaxy, Earth is there, and all that, but. Uh, doesn't take place on earth um it's funny because you were mentioning wanting to write in the 80s because they lack technology and i've been grounding my head for two weeks trying to figure out how to do this stuff with all the technology that i invented and then i'm like how do i how do i break all of that i need to get around some of this stuff um and so yeah i've been i've been playing around with um uh advanced computers and 
processing and interface uh, the characters. One of the characters is uh, Spike, which is a hacker, um, and she can uh, basically visualize and mentally navigate a computer system without needing a com- like a computer screen or anything like that. She can do it all in her head. Um, and so visualizing that for the reader has been kind of a challenge. And I, I try not to go super technical because I'm not super technical, but also I find that that some of that stuff isn't what I like writing or reading. So I really, I don't dumb it down, but I make it very layman. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, one of the things that I've noticed doing this project and this is the first time I've, I've written three books before I've published them. And it's allowed me to, now I'm 80% done planning book two. There's a lot of events in book two now that I can foreshadow in book one in very small ways um, that when you read them in book two, you're like, oh, he's genius. And I'm like, no, I'm an idiot. I just, I came up with that and went back and wrote it in book one. Um, for instance, I, I, I had a, it's basically Mission Impossible in space, right? So you've got to have some really cool things happen. You've got to have some fun set pieces, some intrigue and all that stuff. And and one of the s- sequences that I was trying to create was basically meeting this broker that was going to facilitate uh, a weapons deal, an arms sale. And I was like, well, we'll just meet him in a, a shady warehouse. And over a couple of days, I'm like, that's really boring. And uh, I feel like that's kind of overdone. And so instead of doing that, I said, well, we won't meet him. We'll meet his associate and we're going to do it at a sporting event. I was at uh, a football game last weekend and I was like, stadium, lots of people. That could be fun. And so I ended up creating an entire sport and an entire uh, multi-level stadium that can seat 200,000 people. And it's... It's I called it Warball, and it's basically like a multi-tiered uh, American football meets uh, motion-controlled uh, robots, and they can destroy each other as as the game progresses. The more uh, devastating their weapons become, and uh, yeah, so and that was fun creating that. But in the in the the context of the project, I didn't have Warball in mind at all when I wrote book one but now i can go back in book one and have a character mention my warball team or they're watching warball at a bar on tv and it's it's mentioned in passing but it's something that sticks in the reader's mind is like oh that might be interesting what is this warball thing and then i could drop them right in the middle of a warball game in book two um and it kind of has that doesn't have really any payoff for the plot as a whole, but getting a little bit more immersed in the world. I think that that trigger will, will uh, make, it makes the world seem that much. That's one of the layers of world building that just adds to the depth that just adds on. So, yeah. So it looks like Amy and I are going to be struggling to make our books as realistic as possible. While Josh, Lauren and Ian are either, slinging their stories so far forward or so far back that, that it doesn't matter. So I don't, I don't know if I should be jealous or, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, um, uh, I, I feel like sometimes I have the easier job coming up with stuff that is not 
it doesn't have any basis in reality. And then you going back 20 years, then you have to remember the constraints of 20 years ago. Right. Like remember that you didn't have navigation in your car or you didn't have a right. cell phone or, you know, you might, for, you, you didn't have the, the raise the Motorola razor. You had a pager. Right. And so like that kind of stuff, I'd be Googling like, pop hits for this time period so if a song came on the radio and some readers like that was in 93 and not 89 and you're like okay sorry that's why if you have a main character that's that has an old car with a cassette player and they have a deaf leopard cassette stuck in the tape deck then you know that that problem solved all they ever listen to is you know pour some sugar on me over and indeed, over yeah. indeed <laughs> <laughs> So last week we, um, you know, I had put together this uh, this slide show where we we looked at characters and what makes them great, and um, I have uh, come up with a few more spreadsheets. I like it. <laughs> I know, I know. Just you know, back to the uh, uh, back to the old PowerPoint. So first off, Brandon Sanderson's fantasy world, uh, Roshar from the, um, Stormlight archive. Um, you know, there, there's enough of this world that is familiar, but it is completely fantasized. Um, you know, um, when you're dealing with the world like this, like none of the constraints of, uh, you know, that there's a different gravity. There are weather systems that are, uh, you know, play heavily into the plot. And, you know, this is, this is, you know, an example of a fantasy world completely made up and all of the, the ways that it's not earth um, factor into, into the, the characters and the plot and, and all of that. Um, have, have any of you guys, I'm Josh, I know you've read Stormlight Archive. Has anyone else read any of Brandon Sanderson's? Um, I think there's four books in the Stormlight Archive so far. I read the first one, but it's been a while. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, uh, you know, Lauren, uh, you especially are dealing with a fantasy world. Um, what do you think about, um, you know, a world that that is so different from ours that then that, you know, plays into um, how the, the characters become different from us because the world is so different. And, you know, kind of the the way that it, it kind of falls out over all aspects of your story. Yeah, yeah. I think the common theme we're hearing tonight is that setting is time and place. Usually we think place, but it's also when. And that's going to affect, that's going to make direct effects on your story itself, on, on the characters themselves, who they are, what they look like, how they act like, what choices they can make. But also, it's going to make effects on you as an author about what you can do with your plot or not do with your plot. If you choose a fictional place or, uh, or a real place, you're going to have to make different choices um, and your plot might change. Um, with Stormlight Archives, uh, it's a very imaginative place, so he's got opportunities to to do things that that um, we wouldn't be able to in on Earth. Um, I remember I read Mistborn, and I personally, personally, wasn't keen on it. I felt like the world mute her, mute her now, Hank. 
was kind of drab, you know, like it was, everything was dead. Right. So my imagination yeah. sees lots of browns and grays yeah. and I just wasn't like really just thrilled to be there, to be in that imaginative world, to be sucked into it. Um, but I, I was like, no, I'm reading this. So I really had to kind of like force myself to read fantasy novel. And that's not why I read fantasy. I read fantasy to get sucked up, up in it. Um, so have you read the second era of Mistborn where it's like the, the wild West? I read the, is it three books or four books? I read that series. If there was another series after it, I haven't read. Yes. That, there, there's, there's another Ooh. era. Yeah. The, the okay. fourth book is coming out this fall i think i am yeah. very willing to be reconvinced and to take yeah, a, take another and, look. and side note mistborn is not set on roshar just definitely right not. yes it's it's not and stormlight archives did not give me those vibes at all it was very very colorful lots of different cultures and stuff um lots to fascinate me and capture my my attention it's i think life life stopped me from reading book two not not the <laughs> series itself um, so yeah, with, with an imaginative place, you have the opportunity, but make something cool and make something fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hank, really the, quickly uh, before you go to the yep, next slide, yep. fun fact about the Roshar map that people might not know is it's taken almost directly from the Julia set, which is a fractal pattern. And, uh, I, I've got it pulled up. If I can share my screen and Absolutely. show it's a, it's a mathematical pattern that they they put into visual uh, and it is pretty neat. Hold on. Let me, uh, Oh, I can't share because you're here. Oh, do I do oh I'm sorry. Hold no, on. here we go. I got it. Let's see. Okay. Uh, okay. There we go. There so, we go. So that is the Julia set pattern. Oh, wow. And then that is Rochard. Obviously he had to take some creative license with some of the places, but that is a, that is a screen grab of the fractal pattern because the fractal pattern is a three dimensional pattern. You can look up the video on YouTube and see how they move it around. Um, but he took that fragment of the Julia set and that's what he designed Rochard after. Okay. That's awesome. I didn't know that at all. That's, yeah. that is amazing. I, I don't, read stormlight archives at all i'm not i'm not a huge nerd super fan i promise <laughs> but i am there. oh that is that's amazing I, i'm making a note now that's i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to dig that up in a little bit okay all right um here's something we're all familiar with um hogwarts hogwarts is an interesting um uh, an, an interesting setting because unlike portal fantasy which we talked about earlier where where a character is in the real world and then gets sucked into a another world you know a fantasy world but they're from our world you know hogwarts is a uh is a fantastical place um but the the people bring the magic to there like it's an it, it's a place full of magic but it's only full of magic because the people bring the magic with them if that makes sense um so it's it's a magical place but it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't classify it the same way as a portal fantasy for instance like narnia where right. you go through the wardrobe and then you're you're in a different place um what do you guys think about hogwarts what is it that makes this such a a great um setting well, it's a great example of urban fantasy, right? 
where the the fantasy elements are in our world. So there's so much crossover and mingling, particularly when he's back back at home in London. There is a little tiny element of the portal fantasy in that he goes through the the train station. Um, True. To, yeah, but but the world itself is on Earth. Um, so all of that crossover and mingling is is fun to to be a part of. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's what I like about it too. Is that it mixes, you know, real world with this with this other side. Like we just can't see this other side. This it's it's hidden to to the normal person. And um, I love that because you can think, you know, I mean, you just look around you and think, what things can't I not see that are there? Mm-hmm. What things are happening right now that I don't notice? I mean, even if it's just you know, you know, insects and their entire you know, if you think about insects and their entire, you know, uh, environment and everything that they do that we never notice. Um, and I just think about things like that. And that's something that I think about with Hogwarts is like, you know, it's so much happening and no one knows it's happening because they're not a part of that. Right. Ian, you look like you have an opinion. It, 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 it's interesting to me because this is set in you know, rural Scotland. Why is NORAD not aware of Hogwarts on the map? Why is no one monitoring that? One hundred percent problem uh, that is just waiting to spill out. So I think Hogwarts is a testament to the power of uh, Rowling's magic system. Um, so I, I points for Hogwarts for that because mm-hmm. uh, every nuke should be pointed at that castle at any moment. <laughs> So. Well, and there's something to be said about um, nostalgia too, right? Like everybody knows what it's like to go to grade school and right. everybody wanted to have their school, like they wanted to do cool things in their school and, you know, seeing floating candles and magical creatures and ghosts and, you know, being able to knock your teachers down with a spell or even turn your classmates into different things. Like that's all like, just like real fantasy for a lot of people and to, to be able to experience that in the books. And I think the movies did a phenomenal job presenting that as well. Um, that, that kind of nostalgia will just pull readers in. And I, it's true, obviously. Absolutely. All right. Let's see. I, I can't remember what I put on these slides. So uh, ah, speed which the, mm-hmm. the, the actual portal fantasy. Um, I did include it. I couldn't remember. Um, so Narnia is is a place that you go through the wardrobe. And I don't know if C.S. Lewis, I'm trying to remember if he ever defined where Narnia is. I don't think so. I think it just was on the other side of the of the wardrobe. And, um, you know, it's this magical place that's um uh for why is it do you think that fantasy worlds are um uh, are always set you know in the distant past where there's almost no technology Uh, why do you think that fantasy worlds um why we like to to latch on to to those um time periods and the the level of technology and, and, and that sort of thing. What what's the draw of that, do you think? I think it has a lot to do with World War One, how um, technology shifted so far forward so fast that we have this generational trauma where people are looking back to ye olden times where things seemed better because not as many bad things could happen so quickly. Mm. Well, I think that was definitely a motivating force for Tolkien. Yes. Uh, 
you know, I mean, if you read Lord of the Rings in that light, knowing that most of that was dreamed up while he was in a trench in World yeah. War One, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the ring rates were like clouds of black smoke from cannon fire or something. He's like, yeah, this is definitely going in a book because this is in my nightmares every night. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, right. portal fuck fiction is old. Yeah. Um, the idea of like fairyland. Fairyland is another world that's kind of over top of ours. And there are thin places that you can push through to get to that other world. And that can push through to this world too. And that idea is present in a lot of cultures around the world, but also back in like the Gaelic, our Gaelic past. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about, you know, St. Patrick in the 400s. I'm thinking of Beowulf. Beowulf was written around 800 and just in that world, you know, that's set in what we think of the medieval, you know, it's not the medieval, but we, we think of that in the old and olden days. And even then there's this crossover where monsters can be in our world that are also somehow related to our um, human lineage too. Grendel, Grendel's past goes back to Cain. So there's this crossover between our world and, and theirs. Um, but why do we kind of culturally have so many of these fantasy stories set in like medieval times? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's just, it's fun to, it's fun to look at, but there are other times that you can consider, but I don't know, yeah. swords, dragons, it's just so cool. I think there's a, you know, obviously it's, it's fantasy for a reason, but you, you want to put your characters up against dragons doing that in modern times is cool but then you just call in an f-18 and blow them out of the sky like mm. dragons right. dragons become less of an issue right yeah. now than they were <laughs> back when you just had a bow and arrow um yeah. you True. mentioned the the fairy land and the the kind of the thin uh border between world servants of war that just came out uh, a couple of months back by larry korea and steve diamond their fantasy is set in about a world war one time um, but it's not on earth and they explain kind of some of that. Um, but they mentioned that there's a thin border in places where fairies and werewolves and all that stuff, all the creatures that we would experience on earth as, uh, mystical beings come from other planets through these thins. And then the humans go through the thins and get on the other planets. And it's very interesting, um, to see the different, because it's not technically fantasy, even though there's magic um, and different races and creatures, but it's set in World War One type with trench warfare and all that stuff. Um, mm. Very good book. I, I think there's a um, there's a real interest in portal fantasies right now. There's uh, where people from our modern era fall into these old stories and these old settings, and I, I think there's a. Uh, a lot of a uh, lot of interest in that right now, so I'm intrigued to see what kind of comes out of that. Um, let's move on to the next one, "The Expanse" by James S. A. Corey. Um, uh, Josh, this is kind of in line with with what you're doing. Well, kinda. It's it, it's humans from Earth, uh, but in the future where. Um, you know, we have left the planet and are colonizing the um, uh, the solar system. And so a, a lot of this book takes place on uh, space stations and, um, you know, different different 
colonies uh, that have sprung up. And what you find are, are interesting things that anytime you get a group of people together, you got to figure out how these people are going to work and live together. And that causes all sorts of political strife and, um, you know, just how do we behave toward one another? And that that's one thing um, that I think that world building gives opportunities is, is what are we going to do to see how this affects how human interaction is going to work out? Um, this is, uh, has anyone read the expanse series or watched the, the Amazon prime series? I've read the first, I think the first five books, I think there's nine or 10 total. I've read the first five uh, and I've watched the whole series. Um, I I liked it. I liked the TV show a lot more than the books because they condensed a lot of the stuff down from the books that and it was good, but it was actually better condensed. Yeah. Um, there were some things obviously the TV show did differently than the the books. Um, I thought that it, it's funny. A lot of people mention the Expanse, and they'll mention the science or the the hard science aspect of it. And yeah. I mean, yes, to a relative on a relative scale you could see that say that it was hard sci-fi but it's definitely more space opera than not because there's a lot of things that happen in the story that have absolutely no basis in physics or reality at all and in my opinion when you talk about hard sci-fi that stuff gets thrown out the window and you've only got to do what is scientifically possible but i digress the setting phenomenal uh, in the book and in yeah. the show they did a very good job showing space life um and it wasn't pretty um in some places it was rough uh some places people had it better than others but it was always very dangerous and i think a lot of people forget that about space that it is just out to kill you everywhere you go and i thought that that show got it well and got the it works because it does, Joseph. Absolutely <laughs> right. If you can't make it happen, it's a quantum field or something that you can do. Um, right. I, I thought the setting was fantastic. Um, yeah. I, the the characters were fun. Um, the the ship was uh, an amazing set piece, um, and they they took it to different places every every season. And I think that if you're going to explore settings in that environment. Explore all of them that you can. That's my opinion. Um, when you're talking about hard sci-fi, uh, if you put your – if you set your book far enough in the future, that becomes less and less of a problem because you have no idea what our scientific discoveries will, will right. lend. You know? Yeah. So that, that's one of those things that you can – obviously, you can quibble about if it's if it's present or near future. Um, but if you if you put it out far enough – you know, you, you could use a lot of hand wavy them because, you know, you just, yeah, you know, you never know. All right. What's up next? Um, Longmire uh, from my, my friend, Craig Johnson, uh, the Longmire series uh, takes place in a fictional um, Wyoming County called Absaroka County, uh, loosely based on where Craig lives in Ucross, Wyoming, population 25. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and one interesting thing that Craig does with Longmire is that he's got this setting of the 
modern-ish town that also um, butts up against a Native American um, um, reservation. Reservation. Thank you. I couldn't grab that word out of the ether for. Um, so you've got the setting of the the uh, the settlers. You know, after several generations that have you know formed this town, and 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 that becomes integral to the story but then the the native people who live there and the tensions that are brought about by having a reservation right next to a town and each each group of people think that you know that that they are the the true owners of the place and you know you've got lots of tension that comes out of that and then you throw in a dead body and you've got a story you know um so i love what what Craig does with the Longmire series, um, a real ish place with real ish problems and tensions. And, um, you know, it makes for great stories. Um, any of y'all read the Longmire series or watch the Netflix series? Yeah. My husband and I have seen every episode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. We really I, enjoyed it. I liked it. My only gripe and I lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming for six years my only gripe yeah. is that the entire population of the state of Wyoming can fit in the metropolitan area of Wichita, Kansas. And we don't have as many murders a year as <laughs> they have every year. Not, le- not to mention the county that he lives in. And it's just how many people are going to die in your county for these people just going to say, you're probably not doing a really good job as sheriff, man, because <laughs> you're killing 30% of the people every year. Well, you know, um, we we lost Angela Lansbury this past uh, week, I think it was. And, you know, her TV show, uh, Murder, she wrote, you know, this is little bitty town in Maine. And she trips over dead bodies every time you turn around. Mm -hmm. How many seasons of that show did they do where she's got a stack of bodies 600 deep? You know, did did anyone ever look that maybe she's killing people because she's bored? Or <laughs> that would have been an ultimate twist, like it gets to the, the season finale, and she's been doing it all along. That had been a fantastic ending to the to it. Yeah, she'd yeah. be a psychopath because she's also not just killing the person, but setting up someone else, and then right, one hundred percent. Very when old it, school Dexter kind of stuff there. Wow. Right, right. Well, I hear that Dahmer series is doing really well on, on Netflix right now. They, they, somebody yeah. should take, um, I, I forget the character's name in Murder, She Wrote, but that 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 needs to be a spinoff series for sure. When I saw that uh, that announcement on Facebook that she died, I, I turned to my wife and go, man, Bedknobs and Broomsticks was my favorite movie when I was a kid. And she looked at me with this blank stare. I didn't have any. And I'm like, oh, it's a great movie. They jumped on a bed and they went to these places. There were these cartoon animals and they played soccer. And, it was, and I was like, honestly, when you say it like that, it sounds really stupid. But it's a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. So you, you ever think that sometimes you deserve the blank stares that you get? Oh, yeah. For sure. 100% yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, Harry Bosch. Um so Michael Connolly writes the uh, the Bosch series, uh, another book series turned into a great TV show. Um, one thing, if you've if you've ever watched the TV show and it, and it very much mimics the book series, is that um, it, Bosch is a very much a slow burn. You you get a lot of Los Angeles and Southern California, and you really get immersed in in that. Um, in that place before 
things really start to heat up and and the plot takes off. So he really takes a lot of care in really building up um, the characters there and how they interact with the the people and the the natural tensions that that happen in a in a huge sprawling city. Um, Bosch is is really well done and is a great example of a place that's anchored in a real place and highlights the real um, plot that, that comes out of a, you know, having, what is it? 9 million people in this, this one geographic reason, a region. Anybody familiar with the Bosch series? I love Harry Bosch. I, I watched the series. I know uh, Ian looks like he's waving and he watched it too. I don't want to take up all the airtime. I feel like I have already, but I, I love the I love the series. I love the settings. I've read a couple of the books, um, and it all he always makes a point to make the city a character in the book. Um, and I think that that's vital, especially if you're doing something like that. If you want to capture the the city to make it a character in your book, and I thought. He did a really good job with that in the books, but also in the TV show. Yeah, didn't read that, but did read Jurassic Park. And there's an example of the the setting being the villain. Oh, yeah, right. And not just mm-hmm. the dinosaurs, yeah. but the actual park, like the way the park was set up. And then right. how it failed. I, wish I would have thought of that. That's a, that's a great that's a example. Fantastic example. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Lauren wins the prize tonight. <laughs> You get the you get the sticker tonight. Michael uh, Connolly gets it. He, he wrote yeah. the thing. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Michael Crichton wrote Crichton. Jurassic Park. Crichton. Crichton. Oh yeah. man. Okay. Yeah, see, imagine, I lost lost my sticker. Okay, just imagine Harry Bosch, but with T Rexes. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> be awesome. Okay. I mean, just, okay. I'm down with All it. Right. That sounds. All cool. right. What's next? Uh, Ready Player One, um, an example of a dystopian future by Ernie Klein. Um, Who's who's read Ready Player One? Anyone? I've uh, tried seen the movie. Um, Ready Player One at, is ten years in the future, or ten to twenty. Years I think future. it's it's ten to twenty. I don't know if it ever actually come up, comes out and says what what yeah, the actual I, date was. Yeah, there there were some clues, but I, I think you're right. I don't know that he ever nails that exactly when it is. But um, a a dystopian future with um, uh, but he also manages to keep a a hopeful tone throughout, which is which is very difficult to do in a dystopia, um, you know. But um, this is a great example of the the track that we're on and and showing the the downside or the the detriments to the path that we're on and how it can play out, um, which I think is the 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 purpose of dystopia to you know as a uh, story as a warning, uh, so to speak, uh, while also kind of keeping the um, the hopeful nature that that humans will find a way and and figure it out. Um, anyway, um, any, any thoughts on Ready Player One? This book has three settings that all interact. One is like yeah. that dystopian future. Uh, two is the online world that he's yes. doing all the competitions on, and three is 1980s America. I was just gonna say that the, this this book nailed the physical world building of creating the area of the game and the real world in the dystopian setting, but the nostalgia factor, like yeah. going back to Harry Potter and that that 
getting that's you remember the school and all that all of the it was it was in the future but all of the references were references that we would get because that's from our childhood or that's yeah. that's from where we're growing up and so you're hitting oh, 2045 okay um so you're hitting multiple fronts and because the setting the physical setting was so good and the nostalgia world building was so great combining the two really really made this book really really good i didn't like the second book uh, very much. Uh, I thought he tried a little too hard on Armada. Ready Player One is fantastic, though. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and and yeah, Lauren, you're absolutely right. There's three settings to this book, and 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 he absolutely nailed uh, all of them. So uh, if nothing else, this book should be used uh, as a text for um, how to do immersive storytelling in an alternate reality. For sure. Yeah. Uh, one more. Let's see. Um, Outlander. Um, mm. This this is Outlander is interesting because um, it, it's a it's a, uh, a a book that initially takes place in the past in uh, just as World War Two is ending or has ended. So 1945, 1946. I forget exactly what the years, but it's it's right after the end of World War Two. And then she time travels back. Is it two hundred years um, into the past uh, to to Scotland? And then she is experiencing real history um, as an outsider, as an outlander. Um, so there's a lot going on there. But the world building is um, she's very true to to not only the history of the 1940s, but also the 1700s uh, in Scotland. And um, so some, a lot of interesting things going on there. And then, you know, she knows about the future and, you know, and the, the ultimate uh, kind of how it history is going to play out for the people that she's, you know, fallen there amongst. And then, you know, she, she holds the knowledge and then, you know, how do you get that across to the people? So, Lots of stuff going on there, but she absolutely nails the the feeling of 1700 Scotland and uh, and really does a tremendous job of it. Um, anybody familiar with Outlander? Yeah, I actually um, I had an opportunity to meet Diana and hear her speak uh, several years ago. And she was talking about um, her as a I believe she was a history professor. Um, when she started writing this, if I remember correctly. So she used a lot of the knowledge she already had when she started the series. And she um, she talked a lot about just all the research and all the people that she consulted with as she put the story together. Um, it was really, really interesting. But I I really like the time travel trope. I think it's a lot of fun because you can do a lot with it, putting someone in a completely different environment and seeing how they react. Right. Um, I I had uh, Diana on author story several years ago. And one thing that she told me that completely blew my mind was that she writes uh, her books completely out of order. Just as scenes come to her, she writes a scene and then pieces them all together after the fact. Um, that would make me a, an anxiety ball. I I, <laughs> I I don't know how how that worked. I mean, it obviously works for her, but. 
that would uh, that would send me to a mental institution. I think <laughs> time travel it fits though, because she's well, with, yeah, time travel it fits, except that her I mean her characters can't just jump through time willy nilly. They yeah they they land in time and and have to have to be there. So there, yeah, yeah. Time time travel you have to decide pretty early on what you're gonna do about time continuum question yeah. right like can she change the past for the present like you have to decide whether you can do that or not just like back to the future had to decide that's a big choice you have to make just like with um science fiction you have to decide what am i gonna do with uh faster than light travel how am i gonna work that out it's like one of the first questions you have to answer before you can answer anything else hand wave him hand wave him <laughs> you can do that with time too it's true. Yeah. I want to write a uh, Robin Hood time travel story where you have this uh, like GTA Grand Theft Auto protagonist who stumbles through time and he actually takes up the mantle of Robin Hood. The problem is that I'm not smart enough to write. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once I figure out how that's going to work, I'd, I'd love to try my hand at that. Next. Well. I, I need to see how that turns out. Yeah. We'll just, we'll I, just I just need Robin Hood to just come in with a fifty cal and just start smoking. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know how to make that happen, but it's it's you know it's it's a bucket list thing. I mean, even huh. if he went with a six shooter and you know some extra rounds, he'd be That'd well be above. Yeah, yeah, true. I just want to put some C4 in the middle of like Sherwood Forest, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> put some plastic explosions on a carriage. And everyone's like, how did you do that? I don't know. I don't know, but Sheriff of Nottingham is nothing against some flashbangs. True. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, that uh, that that's going to wrap up our discussion on world building tonight. Um, we uh, th- Is Wednesday night working for everybody? Is, works for me. Seem to be a, a neutral time for yeah. everybody. Okay. Well, we will do this again next week, and um, uh, I, I haven't decided on a topic yet. Is is there a topic that that anyone wants to um, wants to hone in on for next week's discussion? I'll ponder. I'll ponder. Okay. I can think about it. Yeah, yeah. Th- you guys think about it and let me know, and we'll uh, we'll nail it down for next week. But. Um, Anyway, thanks for joining us, everybody. And uh, if you haven't registered yet for the writing challenge, go over to storycraft.cafe. Still plenty of time to get in. Um, We're going to start writing in earnest very soon. And uh, we'd love to have you along. Um, Lauren, Josh, Ian, Amy, thanks as always. Have a good night. See you, bud. See you guys. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.